Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Is there anything worse than morning breath? (laughs) Okay, maybe so, but morning breath is bad. Can we all agree on that, right? Yeah. But you know who doesn't care about morning breath at all? Like, they never, ever care that my breath is stanky. Never, Never even occurs to them that, hey, I can't even get close to you right now because your breath is horrendous. It's Lincoln. Yeah, it's the dog. In fact, Lincoln, I think, likes the smell of morning breath. Because every morning that, he, that he's got enough energy to do this, some, some mornings he's like, guys, y'all are getting up way too early. I'm just going to chill right here. You just leave me alone. But in the morning, if he has slept enough, he is going to be up on the bed, on my chest, full on in my face, like, good morning, Dad. <laughs> and if I say anything to him, he starts licking the air like, ooh, morning breath. Great. I love it. It's disgusting, right? But it's not the morning breath that he loves. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not the morning breath that prevents him from getting up in my face. There's only one thing that drives Lincoln every morning when he climbs up on my chest and he gets in my face. He loves me. It's weird. And I know that dogs are simple animals, but this dog loves us. It's amazing. And I can yell at him and fuss at him and he's going to come back and love me anyway. I can have stanky morning breath, and he's not going to go, ooh, uh uh-uh, get away. Nope, back it up there. In fact, it seems like when I have a bad day, or when things aren't right, or if I'm physically hurt, he's the first one there. I mean, Laura's usually making fun of me if I'm physically hurt, and then Lincoln's like, oh, Dad, you okay? You know, he's got that kind of worried, you all right, Dad? And he's right there. I mean, dogs, right? They just love. Absolutely love. And and it doesn't matter if you have stinky breath or if you've yelled at them. They still love you. Now, I know this is a silly comparison. I understand that it falls apart really quick, really quick, really quick when you start thinking about how it plays out. But a dog's love is unconditional. They just love you. If you've ever had that kind of dog, you know what that's like, right? Well, today we're going to look at love, and we're going to look at how love manifests itself, and particularly we're going to look at 1 John's recollection of the birth of Jesus. Now, he doesn't tell a narrative. He doesn't tell a story about angels or about shepherds or about sheep or about wise men or about a Virgin Mary or about a donkey. Not, nothing about a manger or anything. What John addresses is the theology behind the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to look at that today to understand why Jesus came, what motivated him, and then how we can apply that to our lives. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John 4. 1 John 4. And we're going to be looking at three verses, 9, 10, and 11. 1 John 4, 9, 10, and 11. 
Now, what's interesting about this passage is that it reconnects to two other passages, 1 John, 1 John 3.16 and John 3.16. And what does John 3.16 say? Someone say it out loud for me. All right, you know what that sounded like up here? But yes, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him may not die but have eternal life. So this passage that we're looking at takes that thought, that idea, and it kind of, it kind of phrases it and, turn, and puts a new twist to it. So we're going to look at this passage, 1 John 4, 9 through 10. In this, we are told, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that he, we might live through him. And this is love, not we have loved, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins or for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If you guys joined us on our Zoom Bible studies during the lockdown, you might remember one of the techniques that we used. If you're reading a passage and you see repetition, you've got to ask the question, why does it repeat itself? There is a major repetition in these three verses, and it's a word repetition. What word shows up seven times in these three verses? Love, some version of love. Agape and its cognates in the Greek language. Seven times. Now, one of those times, it is actually an implied object to the verb, so it doesn't actually have the word agape in the original language, but it's referring back to agape in the way they used to write Greek. You'd implied the word without having to write it there. So it really occurs seven times, even though if you read it in the Greek, there would only be six occurrences of this agape and its cognates. So if... You see a word, and it occurs seven times in three verses. What's that tell you? It's important, right? This is, this is the deal. This is what it's all about. Look, I, want, I mean, it's a flashing neon line, like I said, a sign. Line? What the heck is a flashing neon line? I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. It's a flashing neon sign. It's like the, it's like the, you know, the wavy man on the side of the road that blows in the wind. You know, it's, it's like... I'm getting your attention here. Blink, 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 blink. Love. In this, the love of God, verse 9, was made manifest among us. Manifest. This word also can mean to shine or to reveal. God is shining his light and revealing himself. God is Q-beaming. He's throwing the big uh, searchlights in the air and everything's going like, hey, this is awesome. Look at this. God's love was that. It was made manifest. It was a bright, shining light. It was a stage light where it was just this one lone solo light flooding the scene. And what was it? It was his love. In this, the love of God was made manifest, was shown on the world, was revealed to the world. How? 
that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Now, that, that sounds a little strange, but it really means two things here. That we might have life through Him. He's the one who gives us life. He's the one who saves our lives. He's the one who offers His life for our life. So life in its essentialness, everything that life is, comes from, from Christ. He enabled life to happen. And we don't have time to do a deep dive into the theology of this, but who is the Word of God? In the New Testament, who's the Word of God? Jesus. Good. Yes, it's one of the Sunday school answers that actually is Jesus, right? So that's the answer. So Jesus is the Word of God. In the beginning, what did God do to create? He spoke. What did He speak? Words. Very good. Good class. Oh my gosh, I am so glad. Brandy, I don't know how y'all do online education. Like, this would be crazy, right? So, God spoke and all of the world was created. God's spoken word is Jesus. Jesus is God's power in form. Jesus is God's power in action. But not only is He God's power in action, He's God's love in action. So through Him, we might have life. Because He is the power that, that creates life, because He is the power that created all of this, He gives life. He also gives us spiritual life. He gives us real life, like flesh and bone, this all here because of Him, but He also gives us spiritual life. Without Him, we're spiritually dead. So that's the first thing this means. The second thing, I said it, there's two parts to this. The second part of this is that because He loves us, now He enables us to live a life that we're supposed to through Him. Does that make sense? So He gives us life, but then this second part of this is that we are now able to live the life we are supposed to through Him. He empowers us. He is the power and the love of God, so that power and that love moves us, changes us, molds us, directs us. So God said, blinky lights, shiny, cue beams in the air, searchlights, hey, wavy man, this is important. I'm making my love known to you. And I'm making my love known to you through the person of Jesus. And this person gives you life, real life, spiritual life, and enables you to live the life he wants you to live. It's a lot of theology in one little sentence, right? Verse 10. Then he repeats it. In this is love. Not that we have loved God but that He loved us. So this is an important theology, point of theology, particularly for the author of the Johannian epistles. The guy who wrote these three epistles, who we think is John, but we're not real sure. There's a lot of reasons why we think it's the same John that wrote John, the Gospel, and John of Patmos that wrote Revelation. Not 100% sure, but we're pretty sure. And what he wants us to understand is that 
because this is what was going on in his culture at the time too, and it's, and it's what happens with us sometimes, is that we get it wrong. We think that the important part of it is that we love God, right? This is love, not that we loved God. That's not love. I know you're thinking, whoa, easy now. Where is he going with this? Just hang on. Hang on. I'm not saying it. John's saying it. But that he loved us. In other words, our love for him isn't primary, it's secondary. What's the primary love? His love for us. So his love for us is what's most important. It's foundational. It's bedrock. It's the thing that drives everything. Our love for him doesn't drive anything. In other words, his love isn't dependent on our love back. That is very important. God's love isn't determined by how much you love Him, but how much He loves you. And there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So God's love is what's foundational. It's, it's the first act. It is the, it is the prime Number, it is the beginning. God's love is where it all starts. And his love doesn't change. And so what he's saying here, John is saying, look guys, God's love isn't conditional. It's not whether you have morning breath or not. It's not whether you yell at him or not. God's love doesn't change. He's like Lincoln in the morning. He's like there, like I'm here, I'm ready, let's go. I love you. That's what is primary. In this is love. This is love defined. It's God's love for us. It's not our love for one another. That doesn't define love. It's not the love that we have for certain items. Ooh, I really love this. Mmm, chocolate cake, I mean, for Christmas. It's His love for us. That is love. That defines love. That's what all other love should be a reflection of. So if I love Laura, my love for Laura ought to reflect God's love for me. Now she will tell you, whoa, you got a long way to go there, bud. But my love for any of y'all, my love for anything is, is a shadow. It is a weak reflection of the love that God has for us. So the prime love is God's love. And how do we know that? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now this word propitiation, how many of you know what that means? Barry, don't raise your hand. Because Barry knows. Okay, because we had a conversation the other day. Propitiation. It's in the Greek, it's helasmos. Or helasmos. And it means an atoning sacrifice, which if you have the NIV Bible, that's what it says in your Bible, atoning sacrifice. But even that's not real clear. How many people know what atonement is? I mean, like, really don't know what the word atonement means. Okay, see, so it's not very helpful. So let's break this down and figure out why this is important. 
This is defining God's love for us. So it's important that we understand what this word halasmas means, right? It means propitiation for our sins, atoning sacrifice. There's two parts to that, atonement and sacrifice. And there's a huge theological debate. By the way, this word in this form appears twice in all of the New Testament. And there are books written about two occurrences of a Greek word. That's what you get to study when you go to seminary. Two. So we don't have a lot to go on. But this word, when they take the Old Testament and they translate it into Greek, it carries this idea from the Old Testament of satisfying God's wrath towards sin. Jesus satisfied God's wrath towards sin. Now, if that doesn't mean much to you, let's think about that for a second. Sin has a penalty, has a price. Just like when your kid's little and you say, don't do this, and they do it, and you pop them on the bottom or on the hand, or you send them to timeout, or nowadays you take away their $2,000 phone, Am I wrong? <laughs> Look, we used to have it. We used to have it easy. No, you can't watch PBS. That's your punishment. <laughs> nope. No electric company for you. Oh man. Go to your room. Nowadays you have to take away like kids have Kids have more electronics. I, I know this is, doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's, this is kind of off subject. But they have more electronics in, in, their, in their pocket, in their phone, than I had for like the first 30 years of my life, all combined. Or more. Like you, they, It's crazy. It's insane. Mind-blowing, right? So, when we punished a kid and we took something away from them, or we popped them on the bottom, or we, or we sent them to their room, that was punishment. Well, sin means we broke a boundary, and there has to be punishment. Because God is holy, He can't live with unholiness. So He has to do something with it. So He had two choices. Not unlike Joseph, by the way. He could just kill us all. Which, speaking of electronics, when Bennett was little and my older brother would play gaming, one day we're walking through the house and, he, and my brother's gaming and, and Bennett's not supposed to be watching shoot 'em up games. And we hear Bennett, like two years old, kill them all, men, kill them. I'm like, what is my two year old yelling in there? And I walk in and it's some first person shooting up, like blood splattering. All, and Bennett's like, yes, kill them, kill them all, men. There has to be punishment. And he could have just killed us all. Just wiped us out like some first-person shooter. And that might have been entertaining for him. God might have been like, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be like Call of Duty. Except I get to call everybody out. But he didn't. So his first choice to kill everybody, no. So there has to then be a different punishment. So instead, he sent his son to be the punishment, to take on the punishment. 
when Bennett was about, I don't know, eight years old, it had been like his third spanking in the week, I don't know. Sent him to his room. Bennett was a little tough. Y'all don't know this, but Bennett was a little tough for a little bit. He had a little bit of a little something-something going on there. So I had this something-something going on. I think it was actually this. I think this is the belt. I didn't even do that on purpose. Wow. Down by the river. Sorry. Uh, Speaking of belts. Golly, that's so bad. So it was about the third time in the week that I was going in to spank Bennett with my belt, and I was going to give him the whole, you're going to live in a van down by the river kind of speech, and I walk in there, and it hit me. I'm going to teach Bennett something about God's grace. Now, kids, listen to this and hold I walked in that day, and I took off my belt, and I said, Bennett, you broke a rule. We've told you in this house that if you do this particular thing, that the consequence is a spanking with said belt on your rear end, and it's three licks. So we were very specific. You do this, this is what's going to happen. And every time he did this, this was exactly what happened. So I walked in, and I said, Bennett, what's the punishment? Dad, I don't want to. Bennett, what's the punishment? I got to get a spanking. Yeah? How many licks? Three. And I took the belt, and I sat down, and I had shorts. I didn't have shorts on. I think I pulled my pant leg up. And I took it and I whipped my leg three times. Pretty hard. Left a mark. And I said, Bennett, you deserve punishment, but I took it for you. Do you know why? And he got it. Guys, we are all worthy of God pulling first person shooter on us and just wiping us out but he didn't. Instead, his son became the propitiation. He took the punishment for us. He took the belt himself. So what God said was, you can't pay the debt without me wiping you out, so I'm going to pay the debt myself. I'm going to send my own son, and he is going to atone, and he is going to be the sacrifice for you. He is going to set the relationship right by taking on the sacrifice you deserve. Does that make sense? That's what this word propitiation means. And that is the essence of love. That God takes the things that we deserve for punishment and He puts it on His Son so that we might be set right in relationship with Him. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's why we celebrate. As beautiful as these poinsettias are, if this is all there is to Christmas in that tree, then we're we're just celebrating weird things. We're celebrating plants. If all Christmas is are boxes under a tree, then heck, man, let's just go down to the Amazon distribution center and celebrate every day. Oh, look at all the boxes! Yay! 
That'd get pretty old pretty quick, and the people at Amazon might end up arresting us. So Christmas isn't about celebrating plants or boxes or, or good food. Christmas is about the fact that God loves us, and this is love. Not that we loved Him first, but His love is prime. And how did He display His love? He displayed His love by sending His Son to be the punishment, to become the punishment that we deserve so that we might then be set in right relationship with Him. That is Christmas. That's what we celebrate. And then, what is our response? Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Guys, He defines love. He's the prime root. He is the beginning and the end. He is the foundation. He is the first mover. He is the power that put everything into motion. He is the love. And He's saying to you, I love you. And that's worth celebrating. Today, after we leave here, do we have to go anywhere? Okay, good. So today, after we leave here, and before I put on my fantasy football players, which, by the way, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the semifinals, so y'all can say a prayer for that. Okay, maybe not, but, you know, it's big. It's a big thing. So before all that happens, we're going to go home, and as soon, as soon as my front wheel hits my driveway, there's going to be a fluffy nugget looking out the window at me. And that fro sits up about like this now. And he always does that. I don't know what it is. It's like, a, like oh, oh, that is him. And then about the time I get eaten with the front window that he's looking out of, he takes off. And he hears the garage door open. Dude comes bolting out like a bat out of... He comes bolting out like a flash of lightning. And he herds the car because he's a shepherd. He gets on the back left wheel of the car like he's going to actually herd me into the garage. And I get into the garage and I put it in the park and I open the door. And what happens, Morgan? <laughs> yeah, he goes crazy. Like, oh, oh, he can't help himself. Like, it is, it's the best thing in the world. It's amazing. I feel like, my gosh, I'm important. He'll jump up in my car, jump up on me. Just get so excited, and Lincoln just is, man, he's home. And, and if Laura's home and I'm not, and I'm coming home, she has a what's the app? A 360. The 360 thing goes off, like, and I'm outside of the neighborhood, dude starts going crazy already, right? We all should experience that kind of love. But we have. And it's awesome. Love, it pales in comparison to the love of God that we celebrate this Christmas season. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you, but I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it, put it into action 
Until next week, have a great one.